why don't we get started on the scripture, and I'll be back. Um, let's give a hand for Lauren. She's going to read the word of God. Uh, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're still going through the first half of John. So we're going through the, the last part of chapter 3, and uh, Lauren will go ahead and read the scripture. John 3, uh, verses 25 through 30. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness Bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those of you who have been coming to our church for a while, you know that I will, once in a while, talk about my mom. And on rare occasion, I'll poke a little bit of fun at her. Rarely, rarely, rarely. This morning, I called my mom. I was like, Mom, are you coming to our church? You're going to your own. And she said, um, her own. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> ah, I can keep some of my material. Um, uh, just a little bit out of respect for mothers, want to honor moms, gonna, you know, but um, uh, I, I've told you before that my mom is a very interesting person. She's one of the most interesting people I know, in fact. Um, my mom is one of the few people I know, actually the only person I know, who during Thanksgiving dinner, you know, like you got family, you got relatives, will stand up and tell a dirty joke. That's my mom. But here's the thing. She won't just tell the dirty joke. After she tells the dirty joke, she'll say, I don't really understand. Can someone explain this to me? And then she'll ask the guests, you know, like my relatives. And, and, you know, we'll be like, Mom, Mom, if you don't understand, you shouldn't say the joke. Actually, if you did understand, you still shouldn't say the joke, you know. That's my mom. Uh, another thing about my mom that's interesting, uh, before she went into retirement, she used to work... Uh, for a doctor's office. Actually, it was close to uh, uh, Monty's office. And so she was doing accounting, she was crunching numbers, and here's the thing, there, there would be like um, pharmaceutical reps who would come, and they would give these sales pitches, and they would give all sorts of free stuff. It was wonderful, right? Free food, free pens, free everything, free hats. And I don't know, if you know my mom, my mom is very passionate about free, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's even better than, like, frugal and, and discount. Free is, like, the best word ever. And so they would give her stuff, and she would take the stuff, and she would just bring it home, and she'd give it to her kids. And, and we would just, okay, thanks, Mom, thanks. Oh, that's cool. And so uh, th as the story goes, I was, like, in, in school. or I mean, I, Was I in seminary at the time? And, you know, the teacher's uh, teaching, and so I whip out my notebook. I whip out my pen. And, uh, and I'm looking at the pen, and, I'm re and, pe and people are looking at me, and, you know, it's like, and it, there's advertising on the pen, it's, it's, it's a Cialis pen. <laughs> Some of you don't know, 
I didn't know what Cialis was either. It's just this mystery drug. Uh, Cialis is for erectile dysfunction. And my mom gave me the pen. And so, you know, I'm sure she gave my brother, like, the Viagra pen, right? And so, and so you know, I imagine my classmates going, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. We, we should, so young, we should pray for you, you know? That's my mom. That's my mom. She, she's, she's, uh, she's, very, she's very fun. She's very fun. Very interesting person. My mom, um, as a, a mother, didn't really have it easy. I, I don't know if any mom has it easy. Um, Fifteen years into uh, raising us, her husband died. And so overnight, my mom became single mom. And there was a great challenge in front of her because she was trying to cover two full-time roles all by herself. And so she became breadwinner. She became coach. She became the person who would throw a ball. Uh, with her sons, she became, on top of, of what she was already doing, she was already cook, and she was already uh, um, a house cleaner, and then she had to do the finances. She basically did everything, my mom. And I'm telling you that we were not easy to raise. You know, uh, if you know my brother and I, especially when we were young, we were a bunch of punks, especially my brother. Uh, we were disrespectful, we were disobedient, and we were very, very ungrateful. But that did not stop my mom from just giving and giving and giving. And honestly, we took and we took and we took, and we rarely said thank you. My mom would express her love in so many ways. It wasn't in a very American way. American, they smother you with kisses, I love you, I love you. That wasn't my mom. My mom would express it in a different way. She was so selfless. It was so clear that my mom's life was not about her. It was all about her kids. She was just giving her life away to Dave and myself. Now, how did I see that? Well, I think I saw it clearly later on as I kind of look back. Like, for instance, when she's on the phone, every time she's on the phone, she's talking about her kids. How many of you guys have parents like that? It's like the, f the first and maybe the last topic of conversations. Always talking about children. Now, granted, they would compare their kids with each other, but, but they were still thinking about their kids. And here's another way. My mom, she would come home from work. She was tired. And she would, pref she would prepare five meals. I'm not kidding you. Now, I, I don't know if that's what your mom did. Maybe in certain, like, Korean cultures, they prepare a lot of different meals. My mom would prepare five meals. And here's the thing. One of those meals was probably, like, her precious food. She wouldn't eat it. She would eat all the other food, and then she would give us the best. You guys, you guys have seen Joylet Club? Best quality crab is best quality heart. All right, never mind. Sorry, that was lost. <laughs> Well, that was my mom. That was my mom. And here's another thing. Whenever my mom would pray, the first people that she would pray for, it was never herself. It was always her kids. It was always her kids. She was just giving and giving and giving to us. My, my brother, um, he left the house first. Went to college. Uh, I, I went second. The thing with my brother is he came back and lived with my mom. And I was soon going to get married, and my brother was going to dental school and my brother was about to get married too. So right before my brother left, my mom knew this is it. 
This is like the last time I'm going to have with my kids in this capacity. He's leaving, and he's never coming back. Not the same way. So you know what my mom did? She was kind of going through some pain. So this is what she did. On the day that my brother left, she bought a little tree, a little lemon tree. On the day he left, she dug a hole in the backyard. She planted the tree, and she called the tree Little David. Just to make it unmistakably clear what that tree represents, little David. I'm like, uh, shouldn't there be another tree for me, Mom? <laughs> no other tree for me, just little David. But I think it was for both of us. <laughs> Maybe it was for both of us. But here's the thing. My mom was going through some pain, and she was realized, I need to let go of my kids. I gave and gave, and I did the best job I can. Now I'm giving my kids over to God. And in his time, I'm trusting that they're going to bear fruit. In his time. So my mom will actually come over and give me little reports on how little David is doing, you know. Um, this morning, we are dedicating this message to the people who nurture and develop and encourage and root for and hope and wait for other people. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different roles that do this. Teachers do this. Counselors do this. Actually, dare I say that anyone who's a Christian is doing this, right? Christians are actively sharing their faith because they want to see Jesus born in another person. They want to see another person uh, uh, find Jesus. But you know who does this most of all from day one until the, to the rest of their days? Mom does this. Dad does this too, but not as good as mom does this. And so today we want to honor the mothers especially, but for all those people who develop other people. Now, here's the thing. We were in the Gospel of John, right? We were going in the Gospel of John. We're going chapter by chapter. And here's the thing. Today's Mother's Day. And so I wanted to give a Mother's Day message. So I was looking in the early chapters of John like, okay, who can teach us about parenting? Who can teach us about developing people? And one person came to mind in such a strong way, and that was John the Baptist. Now, I know it's weird for like this hairy dude, prophet, leather with a beard to be teaching us how to be good moms. But seriously, John has so much to teach us about being good people who pour our lives into other people, about being good moms and good dads and good mentors and good disciplers. John, here's the thing. John, the first thing that he teaches us is that if you have a calling as a, as a people developer, if you have a calling to nurture and develop other people, I bet you John would say, you have no idea how important that calling is. You have no idea how irreplaceable you are. Now, I know this because that was John's calling. John's calling was to prepare people for Jesus. Oh, he, he, he taught, he discipled. He had conversations, he counseled, he nurtured, he developed. He was so invested in preparing people for Jesus. And then when Jesus came, he handed those people over to Jesus, and that is exactly what a mom and a dad and a mentor does. They're preparing people for Jesus. So if you do that, and you're probably here not feeling very appreciated for what you do, and maybe you do it all the time, I just want to, on behalf of someone who has been invested in, I want to, on behalf of someone who ha has been given to and given to and given to and taken and taken and taken, I'm sorry we, we don't say thank you enough. 
you guys are irreplaceable. There, there is this um, amazing quote. It's really about missionary work, but it goes like this. If God has called you to be a missionary, don't settle for being a king. Well, I think the same can be, be said um, for moms. If God has called you to be a mom, if God has called you to invest in other people and pour your life into other people, then don't ever settle for being a CEO or president of the United States or a general in the army. You are irreplaceable. Are we preaching yet? Maybe. Okay, let's continue on with John. We're going to go through these verses, and we're going to uh, listen to what John has to say about developing other people, okay? <clears throat> so Lauren did read. Let's go first to uh, verse, here it is, 27. Now, let me explain um, the outline for today. Notice you don't have an outline in your bulletin, and I think that's, that's fine because really I wanted the verses to be the outline, Okay, and so I'm going to give you three statements that John gives you and one illustration. Three statements, one illustration. It's all right here. That's the outline, and that's where we're going today. So the first statement of John is in verse 27. He says this, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. A person can't receive even one thing unless it is given to him or her from heaven. Now, I was thinking that uh, uh, going through the scripture this way, where it's one verse by another verse, is really cool, but this verse might be a little bit harder to memorize. So let me break it down. What John is saying is that you can only receive what God gives you. Amen? That's basically what he said. You can only receive what God gives you. Now, I'm going I'm, I'm to go quickly through this point, but I want to explain the context. The context, even before this, is that John the Baptist is a really big deal. He is a really big deal. Let me hear you guys say big deal. Okay, now how big a deal was he? Well, he was the voice of one calling in the wilderness, and people would flock from their places of living all the way to nowhere to go and listen to John. They would listen to him talk. They would listen to him preach. They would be baptized by John. Now, how effective was John? It says in the Gospel of Mark that the entire uh, Judean countryside, how many people is that? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people? The entire Judean countryside. Word of mouth traveled really fast. You got to go in the middle of nowhere to come check out this guy. He is amazing. They would flock. He was one of the most influential leaders of his time. Jesus even said of John that among men born of women. How many of you know a person who is not born of woman? You know, that's pretty much everyone, right? Of everyone, there's no one greater than John. That's what Jesus said of John. That's how big John was. Now here in this passage, when we read about John, the sun is setting on John's ministry. I mean, there was the prime of his ministry, and he is like after the prime, he is post-prime. Okay, his ministry is sort of coming to an end. But the person that he's pointing to and preparing, his ministry is on the rise. So John is stating, and Jesus is rising. Now, here's the thing. If you're on John's team, you're feeling a little bit insecure. You're feeling a little bit like, uh, look over there. You're, you're doing some comparison. 
So here are the disciples. Let's just pretend everyone here on this side is John's disciples. Everyone here on this side is Jesus' disciples, okay? And they're like, you know, they used to say about us that everyone's going to us. Now they're saying that everyone's going to Jesus on this side, this side. And John's disciples are looking, you know, side by side, and they're comparing. And I just want to ask you, do you guys ever do that? Like you're thinking, oh, I could be a great people developer if I had the administrative skills of Leslie. If I could teach like Ian. If I was an extrovert like Rick. If I, if I, if I, was, if I had the charisma of On. If I had a wife as tall as On, I could, actually I don't know what you could do, but... You know, you could, you could reach high stuff on the kitchen, on the kitchen shelves, you know. But you, you guys ever compare and think, if I had that person's gifts, then I could make a difference. And here is John going, look, you can only receive what God gives you. Don't waste your time looking side by side and comparing, if only I had this, then I could really. Don't do that. You have received what God has given you. So, do your best. And give God the glory. Don't worry. Don't compare. Look up. Not sideways. Look up. You can only receive what God has what? Given you. You can only receive what God has given you. So that's the first thing that John teaches us. As a parent, use what God has given you. Do your best. And then give him glory. As a person who invests in kids or youth or just other people sharing with your coworkers, do your best with what you got. You don't have to have Yan's gift to share Christ. Do your best with what you got. And give God the glory. He's not expecting more than what he's already given you. Okay? Can I hear an amen somewhere there? Okay, now let's keep on moving. Okay, so verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said... I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now, I want you to pay attention to those words. I am not the Christ. Can I hear you guys say that? Say that with me. I am not the Christ. How'd that feel? It's okay. I am not the Christ, but I am. Now, now what's happening here? Well, this is very clear. Let's be very simple. Jesus is number one. The Christ, wherever the Christ is, he is number one. You guys are all looking for the Christ. You guys are all looking for the Messiah. You want the anointed leader who's going to affect change and revolution and undo what's been broken. You want that guy, right? You want number one. And the people said, yes, we want number one. And John goes, well, look at me. I am not number one. I am number two. Now, now, here's the thing. If you read later on, you find out that John, not only does he know he's number two, but he's happy to be number two. In fact, it's almost like John is like, hey, look, if you're number two, you should be twice as happy. Now, I'll explain in a little bit. But John is going, I am a number two. And this is so countercultural. Am I right? Who wants to be number two? Seriously. You've been trained ever since you were young, at least in American culture, you got to be the boss. You should be the leader. You should take initiative. You seize control. You are number one. Be number one. Number one is valuable. Number two, uh, I, I got a, a shirt recently for my birthday that says, Steph Curry is really good at basketball. You, you guys seen that shirt? No? Well, you will soon. I'm going to wear it, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Steph Curry is clearly number one on the team, and, and he's... Um, well, they didn't play well last night, but, 
But the Warriors have been playing well without him. But people are still asking about number one. Where's number one? What is he doing? How's his ankle? How's his knee? How's number one? Number one, right? I have never seen a shirt that goes, okay, Steph Curry is really good about I have never seen a shirt that goes, hey, Harrison Barnes isn't bad too. I've never seen that. Why? Because that's not a shirt worth printing. Who wants to be number two? People don't chant, we're number two. We're number two. We're number two. He's much better. We're number two. Number two is support. Who wants to be support? Last example. Okay. I, when Yahoo came out and Gmail came out, I was there. I'm like, I'm going to pick my name. I'm going to pick my first choice of email address. I'm a little bit late in and on, but not that much late, right? So I went on to get sign up for a Gmail account, or maybe it was Yahoo, and I put Andrew Huang. Taken. Oh, that's fine. I, I understand that. There's apparently like 5 million Andrew Huangs in the world. That's fine. Actually, in Berkeley, when I was there, there was five Andrew Huangs, right? Okay, I understand that. So I, I did different combinations. Huang, Andrew, taken. Andrew Huang, one, taken. A Huang, taken. Andrew dot Huang, taken. Any version of Andrew Huang was taken. So you know what I did next? I got really creative. I put Andrew Huang, two, available. I'm like, what? How is that available? How is that available? You know why? Because no one wants to be number two. <laughs> no, here's the thing. You know my email address. It's not Andrew Huang 2. You know why? Because I didn't want to be number two either. <laughs> I'm like, that's available. Good. Someone else take it. I don't know if it's, it might still be available today. No one wants to be number two. Here is John going, I'm number two. I'm number two. I'm, and he... He is happy to be number two. He's happy to be support. What? Really? My wife is an amazing woman. When we were in premarital counseling, the counselor asked both of us, how many kids do you want? Raina knew, so she said three. I knew two, and I said two or zero. I'm okay without kids, you know, because kids are a lot of work. And there is some selfishness in there too, probably, maybe. But here's the thing, Raina, from even when I met her, I have a very strong maternal instinct. Me, I've had to grow into my paternal instinct. I'm growing. I'm, you're, you're looking at the matured version, okay? It's taken time. But Raina, Raina had it. It took me two years to get used to the idea of having kids. Then we started trying then Ryan came, and you know what Raina did? She made a decision. She decided to quit her job. Now, please don't get me wrong. I actually have no agenda here. I'm not saying, hey, you should quit your job. That's not my agenda. It's really hard to live in the Bay Area. I understand that two people need to work a lot of times. We, we were very fortunate that way. Resources from mom and dad, they were God's blessings. Raina decided to quit her job. Now, Here's the other part of misunderstanding. I don't want you to think that Raina lacks ambition. She does not lack ambition. And I'll just give you one silly example. Have you ever played a board game with my wife? Oh, my goodness. When you play a board game with my wife, she's like, oh, I don't know how to play this game. Oh, can you help me? But then, and so you let your defenses, and then she destroys you. That's, that's my wife. She is, tri uh, not tricky. I can find a better word. She is shrewd and sneaky. Okay. She knows what she wants. And she's like, look, the time with the kids is going to be really short. They say the days are long, but the years are short. 
I want to be there, and I want to be there full time. I want to leverage that time to the most that I can. So you work, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be home with the kids. It's interesting, there was another time when um, I was uh, working on this application, and I'm like figuring out what to write for my wife's occupation. And I didn't know what to call her, so I, I just said, hey, Raina, um, I don't know what to s- describe your occupation. I was thinking maybe domestic engineer, right? And she's like, no, just put full-time mom. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, it doesn't sound as impressive as domestic engineer. And she goes, no, I'm fine. That's what I am. So I put down chief full-time mom. CFM. You know, no, I didn't. I, I put, I put, here's my mom, here's, here's, here's Raina saying, look, I'm number two, and I'm happy to be number two. I love being number two. You know, that really inspired me. You know what's happened recently is the kids have gone to school. And so now Raina has more time. Raina has, re- has recently re-entered the, the, the working uh, market. She's a counselor at First Press working part-time in her dream job. Ten years. She put her professional career on hold. And now she's employed again. I've been so inspired by her example of being number two and support and proud of it that guess who on Sunday and Tuesday for the second half of the day is number two? I'm number two. I'm number two. She gives the kids to me, and I am so happy to watch them, not to spend time with them, but to thank Raina for all that she's done. I'm kidding. I enjoy spending time with them too. But Raina is an amazing example of, of, of someone who is supporting and nurturing. Look, she said, she basically said Andrew's career is number one. Kids are number one. I'm going to be number two, and I am twice as happy to be number two. And so John says, look, I'm not the Christ. I'm not number one. I've been sent before him. I'm number two. Now, here's the thing. Not only does he say that, but he says it, and he's really happy to say it. Now, I'm going to give you the third statement, and then we're going to go through the illustration, because that really is what John was teaching, the illustration. Now, here's the third statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. What an amazing statement. Again, so countercultural, you know. I think basically we've been taught you must increase and, you know, others can decrease, but they got to get out of the way for you. Here is John going, no, 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 no. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And I love, I love that formula. I love it. Now I want to explain that to you the best way I can, okay? So what I do need are uh, a volunteer. Actually, Yan and Sylvia are perfect for this. Could you guys come up? Okay. Now, what John does is he gives us an illustration. And we kind of get the illustration because we have a modern one that's very close to it. But here's the thing. I'm going to go where John goes. So actually, Yan, could you go where Debbie is and just kind of wait there? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to read this and I'm going to explain this to you, okay? So here John says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now let's count the number of characters. How many characters are here? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Okay, so that's going to be Yan. Okay, now Yan is going to be Jesus, right? He's the bridegroom. Okay, he represents Jesus. Okay, now let's keep on going. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears, okay, that's me. Who am I? I'm friend. Actually, not just friend, best friend. 
best man, okay? I'm best man, okay? I'm the friend, okay? And he is? Okay, someone said bride. No, he is not. <laughs> he ain't the bride. He's the groom. He's the groom, a.k.a. Jesus. He's the groom. I'm the friend. Who is she? Someone said friend. <laughs> Too many friends here. <laughs> no, she is the bride. What does the bride represent? The church, the people that John has been preparing. You are many people, okay? You are worth many people, Sylvia, okay? You are the bride, groom, friend, okay? Now, this is what would happen. I am in charge of putting together this party. We invite some guests, the family. We're kind of going to give her away. But we give her away when what happens? When the groom comes. Now, I don't know what the groom is doing. He's, like, grooming his hair. He's getting ready. He's talking to his friends. But at some point, he's going to come and pick up the bride, now, it's my responsibility because I'm best man. I'm going to prepare her. You know, I'm going to make sure she has everything she needs to be beautiful. Be like, are you going to wear that? Oh, how about this? You know, and, and we're, we're, we're feeding people, but she's feeling refreshed. She's feeling ready, and I'm trying to make her ready, okay? Now, if he comes and she's sleeping, that's my bad. i got to be like, hey, hey, wake up. Here, have some coffee, right? I'm preparing her to get ready. That's my job. okay. Now, the groom comes. He's been a long time. He's coming. He's coming. Now, it's only about hearing his voice. I'm going to hear his voice. So right about here, you're going to let the bride and the friend know that you're here. Now, you might say, I'm here. Or you might say, hunka chunka burning love is here. You might say something. I don't know. But say, <laughs> say something that you're here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm really excited. Why am I really excited? Because this is the moment that I've been preparing for. I've been preparing her. Woo! This is my role. It's going to happen in moments. So I'm like, you ready? You ready? He's outside. Is he ready? Okay, now this is what I do. I come outside with her, and I go, here she is. Go get her, right? And then they link arms. I'm sure they did something a little bit more festive and said something and prayed. I don't know what they prayed. We don't really know. And then they walk off to go and get married. Okay. Okay, no, hold, 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 hold. That's, that's how it's supposed to happen, right? That's how it's supposed to happen. Now, now come back, hold it. Hold, come back. And, and, and Yang, can you, can you stop right there? And then and so we can come over here. Okay, so here's John going, you got to know your role. you got to know your place. Your place is to decrease, and he must increase. So the work that you're doing here is for him, not for you. So when he comes and he comes, the worst thing in the world is a best man who doesn't know his place. Who thinks that he's the groom? Look, I don't think you really need him. Let's go. Let's go this way. You don't need that guy. We don't need that guy. We're good. We can do it. No, no, no. Okay. That, that's bad. Okay? You don't want to be that kind of friend. Or the friend that's like, hey, here, here you are. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. This is awesome. Wow. I'm going to be here all the time. You know? Or, or, or the best man who comes and it's like fluorescent pink and gives like a 40-minute speech. Right? You don't want that friend. What kind of friend do you want? You want John the Baptist. Well, you guys, can we thank the, the bride and the groom? Here's John the Baptist going, look, look, it is my life's work to get this person ready. And when they are ready, it is my life's joy to say, here you go. And then I step back and I go, love you guys. Now listen. I'm like, oh, man, he's perfect for her. She's perfect for him. I'm just so happy for them. It's not my wedding, but I'm twice as happy. How many of you have ever been best men? How many of you have ever been like a maid of honor? 
Now, the worst thing in the world is like a, a, a sourpuss, like best friend, like, oh man, when's it going to be my turn, right? The best man you want is like, man, his joy is my joy. Her joy is my joy. Your role, now let me speak to the parents, your role is to get them ready. Your role is to get them ready. Now, I, I want to talk about four concrete ways we do this. Not everyone's here as a parent, so we're going to do this quickly and move on. But here's how you decrease in your role as, as a parent, okay? Number one, you decrease in importance. Yes. You're not supposed to be as important later on. But you know what is going to increase in importance? Peers. That's really scary, actually. And eventually spouse. Yes, a pimply-faced 16-year-old with a crackly voice, and their opinion is going to matter more to them than yours. Scary, but that's true. And it's supposed to be natural in their development. Here's another thing that decreases. Their dependency on you decreases, and their sense of independency increases. Now, because that's true, that means you give rules less, and you give advice more. You control less, decrease, and your influence increases. That's good parenting. You're supposed to hand them off, right? It's actually our joy to hand them off. I heard this great quote. It goes like this. God has no grandchildren. You ever hear that? God has no grandchildren. I mean, it's true even for someone who's mentoring another person, someone who's discipling another person. God has no grandchildren. You are preparing them so they can have a direct relationship with the Father themselves, not so they can always go through you. When you're young, you're like God to them. You kind of are like God to them. But as they grow, you're handing them off to the real God. You're like a representative, but you're not the real thing. And then you hand them off. But you're building them for that amazing moment where you hand them off. And it is a great, great moment. It is a great, great moment. I want to share a story. It's uh, of my middle child, Christopher. And uh, something happened, and I wrote it down because it was just really, really precious to me what happened. But i got to tell you a little bit of a story. How many of you guys have heard of the syndrome called PK syndrome? It's pretty easy to explain. It means, like, the kids of pastors can be really messed up. That's, that's my version of PK syndrome, right? And the reason why, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a fishbowl. There's all these expectations, but they don't have the inside to match those expectations. They didn't sign up for those expectations, and so they, get, they start to resent um, dad and mom and the ministry and the church, right? Now, I am very mindful that my kids are the kids of pastors. There's a lot of expectations, if not from the church, then from me, and I, just, I don't want them to do something because of my expectation. I even told Raina this. I, I, I said, I would be happier having a small church and a small ministry with a thriving family than this big ministry and a family where the kids don't want to follow in the footsteps of their parents. You know, I would much prefer the, the, the former rather than the, the, the latter. And so I've been very mindful about not kind of like, you know, forcing my kids. So anyway, this is uh, what happened one night, um, and this is my reflection. Tonight before bedtime, I 
continue the next installment of the devotional book that I've been reading to the kids, Leading Little Ones to Christ. You know, honestly, it, it wasn't the best devotional. <laughs> here's my little commentary. It wasn't the best devotional, um, but here's the, an extraordinary God working through ordinary circumstances. They're going through this devotional, and all of a sudden, Ryan speaks up. He says, uh, he says Baba, I may be a Christian now, but what if I don't want to be in the future? Okay. Now, yeah, I'm freaking out a little bit, right? But I'm, 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 being, I'm being all, like, cool. I'm like, okay. That's, and, and here's what I said, because during that time, I was thinking a lot about the sovereignty of God. I said, Ryan, if a person says, I want God, or I love God, you got to know that's so unnatural because of what's inside here, that if you even say that, it's because God put that in your heart. And if God put that in your heart, it's probably because he loves you and he's chosen you. Now, I use those words chosen, again, because I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the sovereignty of God. So I said, you know, don't worry about this. It's not so much about us choosing God and being a hero, but it's about God choosing us and his son dying for us and us giving our lives back in return to him. So Ryan goes, am I chosen, Papa? And then I, I explained to him, well, uh, years back, you, you received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and I really feel like it was God who did that, so I do think he has chosen you. And then here was the surprise, you know, the X factor. Christopher is listening to this, and he chimes in. He goes, what about me? Baba, what about me? Am I chosen? And I, I go, uh, Christopher, um, you must be chosen to have such amazing Christian parents. That, I really said that. I said that. <laughs> And, um, and then he goes, I believe. Those two words just broke my heart. I believe. And I said, Christopher, as far as I know, um, we've never prayed to receive Jesus. Now, you have to understand that Christopher is as tough as nails. Christopher has an iron will. If you want him to eat food and he does not want to eat food, do you know what he will do? Right. He, he will throw it at you, actually. You know, Christopher will not do anything that you don't want him to do. He said, Daddy, I believe. And I said, um, well, then do you want to pray to receive Jesus? Now, listen, uh, I was talking about receiving Jesus like weeks ago, and he was making fun, and he was, he was making it a joke, and he was being really rude. And so I, I was like, okay, I'm just backing off. I'm backing off. I'm, I'm not going to, like, give you a lecture. But he said, Daddy, I believe. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus? He said, yes. And so, it's funny, because Raina was putting Noah, Noah to bed, and she fell asleep, right? I go, Raina, come here! And then in seconds, Raina, like, leaps out of bed, you know? She was eavesdropping on the whole conversation, like, I'm here, right? <laughs> and so we all hold hands. And I, I get the chance to lead my son in a prayer to receive Jesus. And part of the conviction is, you know, I know they're young, but who knows? You know, like a year later, he had this disease that was threatening his life. I mean, who knows if he's going to, how long he will last. I want to know where he's going to be. I want to introduce him to Jesus as soon as I possibly can. I want him to know the Savior. So we, we prayed, and I can't tell you how happy he was, you know. Now, I know this is not it, right? This is, for a pastor's kid, this has got to be one, but there's going to be ten more confirmations, right? I understand. I get that. I get that. But, hey, we got one. And so we went out to ice cream, you know, we were celebrating, you know, and we're kind of downplaying, but it, inside, Rain and I were just like, God, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. That's all we really wanted to ask for, you know. 
certainly for our church, but we also want our first ministry to be our kids knowing Jesus. I can't tell you how joyful it will be to one day fully hand off my kids to Jesus Christ. That's what a dad does. That's what a mom does. That's what Christians do. That's what we live for. And there's nothing better, more joyful than doing that and handing them off. I want to read one last story to you, and then uh, we'll invite the worship team forward, and we'll open the back for prayer. This one, I'm just going to read this story, but... um, This story is about the joy of preparing people for Jesus and just handing them over to Jesus. Okay, here we go. The only person Monica loved more than her son was her God, the Lord Jesus Christ. When her son was a baby, she used to sing hymns to him while she was breastfeeding him. She dedicated him to the Lord and prayed he would be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Monica's faith and love were well known throughout the Christian community in her city. And when her son grew up, his brilliance was equally well known, but so was his immorality and hostility towards God. The young man had become a a rhetoric professor. He had given himself over to the full-time occupation of drunkenness, sexual immorality, and turning people away from the one true God with, with his philosophical speculations. Even the most highly trained Christian intellectuals could make no headway with Monica's son. Monica had come close to utter despair several times, but she refused to give up. She continued to labor in prayer for the salvation of her son. When her son was 19 years old, Monica had a dream. In this dream, she and her son were walking hand in hand together in heaven. She knew God was telling her through the dream that he would save his immoral son, her immoral son. And the dream encouraged her to intensify her prayers. A year went by, then another year, and then another. Instead of her son growing closer to God, he seemed to be growing further away. He had gotten more intelligent, more arrogant, more committed to evil than ever before. A famous, respected, and wise church leader visited Monica's city to conduct some religious services there. Because Monica was so highly thought of among the Christians in her city, it was not difficult for her to obtain a private meeting with the church leader. She told them of her prayers for her son and that his condition had actually worsened. She implored him to speak with her son, but he refused. He knew any attempt on his part to persuade Monica's son to repent would only serve to harden his heart. How will my son ever be saved? Monica sobbed. The wise old man looked down on Monica's tear-stained face with affection. Woman, he said, it is impossible for the son of those tears to perish. The interview is over. Monica was encouraged by those words in the same way she had been encouraged by her dream years earlier. She renewed zeal, and she continued to do the only thing she could. She prayed. Nine years after Monica's dream, her son was sitting in a garden, still an unbeliever, when he heard an audible voice speak the words, Take it and read. Take it and read over and over in the sing-song voice of a child's nursery song. 
At first he thought the voice must have been from some children playing nearby, but there were no children. And he had never heard this, song, this, this child's song before. He sensed the voice was a divine command from heaven to open the scriptures and read. Manasseh's son took up the Bible and his eyes fell on Romans 13, 13, 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The son's heart was miraculously transformed. He would no longer be known as Monica's immoral son. Instead, he would go down in history as Saint Augustine, one of the greatest theologians and champions of the faith in the entire history of the church. A few years later, Augustine had been saved. Monica said to him, my son, for my part, I have no further pleasure in this life. What I am still to do or why I'm here in the world, I do not know for I have no more hope on this earth. She had given the greatest desire of her heart, her son's salvation. She had been given the great desire of her heart, her son's salvation. There was nothing more she wanted in this life. Nine days later, she died. Can you feel the mother's joy? It's the joy of one who has been pouring out their lives for another. And then to see that person be handed off to Jesus, there's no greater joy. There is no greater joy. Just a quick review of some of the things that we've covered today. We want to remember, especially in times of insecurity, that we cannot receive anything that God is not giving. We also want to remember John the Baptist who stood up and said, I am not the Christ, but I. And basically he was saying, I am number two, and I am twice as happy to be number two. And we will remember John the Baptist who said, as his life motto, he must increase. It's all about Jesus. I have the pleasure of decreasing. And we decrease a little each day, pouring out our lives for the glory of God. It's a fantastic life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the high calling of being someone who decreases to make room for the increase of Jesus to make room for the increase of another. I thank you for the amazing model of John who put others first, who prepared the way of Jesus. And I pray that you would make us like little Johns in our parenting, in uh, the way that we love our coworkers, in the way that we love our family members, in the way that we love our friends. Help us to prepare others for Jesus and to know our amazing privilege of being number two. In Jesus' name we pray.